Welcome to the Powerhouse Youth Podcast. We're glad that you're joining us today, and we hope that this builds you up and helps you live out your faith. Enjoy the message. I hope, man, that this message can encourage you and and push you to the point where you are ready to make that decision to truly believe in and follow Jesus Christ with everything. Amen? Are you with me? Are y'all awake? Yeah. Well, amen. Okay. So my message tonight is called The Five Miracles of Calvary. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. If you want to be extra holy, you can flip to another passage uh, in Luke chapter 23 as well. We're going to read that in just a moment. But while you're flipping to those two spots, I'm going to pray. So, Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for this week. We thank you for Easter weekend, what it represents, and all that you've done for us. Lord, that you sent your son to die for us. Lord, so we can be redeemed, so we can be saved. And, Lord, we exalt you tonight. We pray that you would come and speak to us and draw us to you that we could come to know you in a greater way. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 27, where we're kind of picking up in this Easter story, Jesus has already been betrayed by one of his disciples named Judas Bad, okay? Judas Bad. If your name is Judas, I'm sorry, okay? That's pretty rough. (laughs) Okay, so he's already been betrayed by his follower named Judas, uh, the Jewish, uh, Judas, not Jewish, Jewish, that sounded way too close to each other. The Jewish religious leaders, uh, they've already kind of devised this plan to kill Jesus because they were jealous of him, his ministry, and his following. And Pilate And the Roman authorities, man, they were standing, they brought Christ before them in in judgment. The the Jewish leaders didn't have the authority to sentence Christ to death, so they brought him uh, before this man named Pilate and these other Roman authorities. And actually, Pilate and this other man that kind of stood in judgment over Christ deemed Christ as innocent. I don't know if you knew that, but they actually deemed Christ as innocent. Innocent, and you can read this in Luke chapter 23, verses 22 through 24. Look at this. This is Pilate speaking, and he says, A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has Jesus done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. Okay, this is not even really like a big part of my message, but we have just read the biggest act of peer pressure in all of history. Pilate knew Jesus was innocent, and why did he sentence him to be crucified? Because that's what everybody else wanted. That's what the crowd wanted. That's what they desired. That's what they were yelling for. That's what they were screaming for. And and listen, if that should teach us anything, it's that we should not always go with the crowd. 
Just because everybody else is doing it, just because everybody else is acting that way, thinking that way, talking that way, that doesn't mean that it's right, and it doesn't mean that you should behave in that way because you might just find yourself on the wrong side of history. Right? Don't be Pilate. Pilate had the power to stop it, to stop this from happening, and yet he chose to sentence Christ to death. And I believe Pilate will stand before God in judgment forever for what he did, for this decision that he made. And so I want you to look in Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 27. This is after Christ had been sentenced to be crucified. This is where we're picking up. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's quarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And so Jesus endured this brutal beating He's scarred, he's bleeding, half of his back and sides of skin have just been ripped off and destroyed. I mean, you're talking about a hard trek and journey to carry across to this hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull, much less after all of the brutality that he had just endured. It's it's almost impossible. And so they forced Jesus to go to carry his cross up this hill called Golgotha. And once they were there, They drove nails into his hands and feet, pinning him to the cross, and then they lifted him up. They dropped the cross in place, an agonizing kind of yank on your arms and legs, and they left him there to die, an innocent man hanging between two guilty criminals. And although this crucifixion Although this act of crucifixion in Roman culture was normal, this specific crucifixion was no ordinary crucifixion. Man, so what begins to unfold, and this is where our message is going to go, there are several amazing feats that happen, some miraculous things that happen around the crucifixion of Christ that you just won't believe. Yet, historically, we can verify that these things actually happen, that they're not just recorded in the Bible. And so I want to look at five things today that I think will help kind of embolden your faith that you can trust in the Lord and and believe in Jesus Christ, that he was in fact who he said he is. Amen? And so the first one, are you still awake? Are you still with me? We're just getting getting here, so, so stay awake. I know some of you should have had another coffee next week. Ask for the double shot, okay? Some of y'all don't need any coffee. (laughs) Okay, here we go. The first miracle of Calvary. Any guesses? Any guesses? Uh, Yeah, man. What? Just a bunch of mumbling. The first miracle is a miracle of darkness. Okay, here we go. Matthew 27, look at verses 45 and 46. It says, now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Okay, this is pretty interesting. If, if you're not super familiar with this story, I hope you kind of learn a few things. But what happens is Jesus is hung on the cross and all of a sudden the world goes dark. And so the Bible tells us that from 12 o'clock noon till about three o'clock, it's dark outside. Something just happens in the middle of the day, right? 12 o'clock, that's the brightest time of the day. Something miraculous happens and it goes dark. And so don't you think that it's a little ironic that the world goes dark while the light of the world is hanging on the cross? And so it's significant that you need to know a few things. One, this was not just an eclipse or a storm. Anybody you remember a couple years ago, we had like a big eclipse and everybody was going outside, like almost going blind, trying to stare at the sun and maybe you put some sunglasses on. I think we made a little box thing that you're supposed to like look through and we weren't smart enough to make it right, so our box didn't work. So I just wanted up just like peeking at it and pretty sure my eyes have never been the same. So, <laughs> so don't do that. But here's the deal. This, this was not an eclipse. It wasn't just a storm. This is a, a miraculous, a supernatural occurrence. Okay, I want to I explain to you a couple of things. One, we know that this wasn't an eclipse because they were celebrating that weekend on Sunday, Passover. Jewish Passover only occurs on a full moon. The moon is only full when it is on the opposite side of the earth from the sun. An eclipse happens when the moon is in between the earth and the sun. I'm making Josh Jones excited. We're talking about moon phases. I don't know where he went, but that is right up his alley. And so an eclipse is impossible. This, that's how a lot of scientists or people want to just try to explain what happens. We know it wasn't an eclipse. It would have been impossible. They say that the sun failed this day, meaning that it was, it was more than just a cloud that kind of came in front of, of the sun. But man, something supernatural occurred here, and it just changed, and everyone saw this crazy thing happen. And outside of the Bible, this is what I want to do. I want to give you some context on why we should believe these things outside of Scripture. Okay, there are numerous historians that record that on the day of Christ's crucifixion, the earth went dark for three hours. You probably have never been taught that because we don't want to talk about this in our schools. We want to pretend like it never really happened. Okay, so we have writings from historian named Talus, from Julius Africanus, Philippon, Phlegon. Uh, all of these men have recorded in their writings that there were three hours of darkness on the day of Christ's crucifixion. That's pretty sweet, right? There's a, um, a Roman historian later on that, that confirmed even in these writings named Asubius. Yeah, try to spell that. Uh, I had to look it up like three times and I was typing it in my notes. Eusebius, but, but he confirms that these, uh, the same message that all of these other historians wrote, uh, that the world went dark. A number of early church fathers also, man, confirmed that the world went dark for three hours. I mean, we're talking about 20 or so different people here, uh, and even big names like Origen and Tertullian. If you know anything about early church fathers, those are big deals. But probably the most significant one that I want you to think about tonight, and we're going to reference this work several times, is that the man Pontius Pilate actually wrote about the events of Christ and the crucifixion. And so actually what happens is the city of Jerusalem is in such unrest after all of these crazy things happen that Pontius Pilate writes to the Roman emperor and he begins to tell him about the craziness that just unfolded at Christ's crucifixion. And you know what's in his letter? 
He says the craziest thing happened when we crucified this man, the whole world went dark for three hours. Pontius Pilate, the man who crucified Christ, who sentenced him to be killed. Is that not cool? And so this kind of goes to show, I'm not trying to give you just a history lesson, but what I want you to see is that this is not just a story. It's not just some, uh, some made-up thing that, that they've kind of began to expand and, and all these things as they wrote the Bible. No, this is history. Jesus Christ was crucified and these miracles truly happened. And so what is the significance of the world going dark? Well, this is a supernatural occurrence as God turned his face away from the Son in judgment. God turned his face away from Christ as he was judging him for the sins of the world. Listen to this in Isaiah 53. We made an Instagram post about this just a couple of days ago. It says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Speaking of Jesus, he said, Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so what I want you to see here for just a moment in this crucifixion story up to this point, All of it has been about the brutality and the torment of the cross, but there's a shift that happens in the world as Christ enters a new position of heart. He enters a place where he is now beginning to atone for the sins of the world, meaning that that as Christ begins to, to have the sins of the world, meaning mine and your sins placed upon him, darkness comes because God turns his back on his son who's covered in sin right? This is, this is an amazing story. This is amazing uh, just happening here. And so Christ came to be the payment for our sin, to appease the wrath of God for our wrongdoing. And he took upon our sin, our shame, every mess up, every stupid thing that you've done, every time you've known better and you've chosen to do something silly and you've done it anyway. Christ said, I'll take those things I'll pay the payment that you can't pay so you can be free and so you can be forgiven. Amen? That's the first miracle of Calvary. It's the miracle of darkness, and it is historically verified. The second miracle, we sang about it in one of the songs, actually. Any guesses? Second miracle? Yeah, you got it. The second miracle is the miracle of the torn curtain. Look with me, Matthew 27, starting with verse 47. It says, Some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling for Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And so upon Christ's death, this curtain, this veil that was in the Jewish temple was torn in two. It was ripped in half. This this curtain, this fabric, they, they say is close to a foot in thickness. It's just impossible to tear by man. 
and yet God tore it. And so one thing that I want uh, to tell you, this is actually the least documented miracle of the five miracles we're going to talk about today. Um, Many believe it's because the Jews wanted to hide what was happening in the temple because this would have been a big embarrassment. The Romans couldn't write about it because the Romans weren't allowed to go into the temple and see it. And so they tried to kind of cover a lot of these things up. But one thing that I do want you to understand, there aren't historical writings about the uh, tearing of the temple curtain, but there are many sightings from Jewish rabbis and, and priests from this time, from the death of Christ, that begin to talk about the crazy things that are happening in the temple. Okay, uh, talking about they lock up the temple every night, they shut the huge metal doors and the gates and all these things, and every night uh, something happens, the wind blows, and the doors to the temple burst open, the gates open up every night, and it's kind of a, a representation of God leaving the temple. Those things happen. Priests were talking about the crazy stuff. They were talking about how they no longer could keep the the lamps in the temple lit after Christ had been killed. They talk about threads and the tapestries and all these things in the temple that were scarlet and red. On the day of atonement, a miraculous thing happened, and the threads turned white like God would turn our scarlet, our sin that was as red as scarlet, to that which is white as snow. I mean, it's amazing the things that happened from the moment that Christ died on the cross. And so in the Jewish temple, I want you to kind of understand the significance of this. There was a veil. There was a huge curtain, okay? And it separated a special place called the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled from the rest of the temple. Only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies He only went once a year to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And even he, if he didn't go purified, guess what? (laughs) He died. They actually made the priests wear a bell on their hips. So when they went in, they could hear if the priest was still alive because the bell would be ringing. And if the bell ever stopped ringing, they tied a rope to the guy's waist and they would pull him back out dead. True story. Read your Bible. Really cool stuff. Who wants to volunteer to go in the Holy of Holies? (laughs) I would be horrified. (laughs) That would be so intense. And so what I want you to see, this this curtain, it represented this, this thing that separated man and God. It represented our sin that separated us from God. And so this significance of, of when Christ died that this curtain was torn, it was showing that we're no longer separated from God by our sin, that those who come to faith in Christ and believe in Him and trust in Him, they can come into the presence of God. They can now come freely and worship. They can now come freely and, and, pay and pray. And, and that Christ was the atonement that we had been waiting for. And it's such an amazing happening here with the, the tearing of the, the curtain temple. Uh, the temple curtain. And so um, here on this moment, Christ took his last breath on the cross. He paid the price for our sins. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, and Christ died for our sin. And so all of a sudden, in those things that had separated us from God and our sin, our 
the, the reason why man could no longer have a relationship with God, those things were paid for, and now those who believe could freely come before Him. And I want to say this, today, man, we take this for granted that we can come freely to powerhouse, we can worship, we can come before God, we can come to church. We, we think about these things nonchalantly almost, and, and I want you to, to realize that it's all because of Jesus. The reason we're able to come and worship, the reason man, we were singing out to God and you could sense his presence come and rest with us, that is only possible through what Christ did on the cross and because he tore the veil. Amen? I'm thankful that he tore the veil. The third miracle of Calvary is, any guesses? The earthquake. Anybody you've ever gone through an earthquake before? I've never, I've never done that. That's be kind of scary. Uh, I've never been through it. So yeah, I've never made an earthquake before. <laughs> okay, so here, I want you to read this second half of verse 51. So it says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then it says, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Okay, what's interesting is the majority of the historians that I referenced earlier, I gave you a bunch of names. Almost all of these historians wrote about the darkness that covered the land for three hours. And they also included the details of an earthquake that happened. Okay, all these historians write about it. There's evidence in the city of Nicaea that part of the city was actually destroyed around this time. Does anyone want to guess what year it was destroyed? 33 AD. How old was Jesus when he was crucified? Man, this is just crazy, right? It's crazy. Wow, just what a coincidence. Did you know quotations from Pilate's writing not only talked about the darkness, but it talked about the earthquake? Uh, there's actually a governmental agency. Uh, it's called the National Centers for Environmental Agencies. Yeah, sounds kind of important, I guess. Uh, but they actually document that an earthquake at the time of the crucifixion of Christ happened. If you want to watch a, uh, man, some documentaries kind of about some of this stuff, there are multiple documentaries that have gone to research and prove that this earthquake at the death of Christ has happened. One is called Christquake. The second is called Crucifixion Quake. Christquake. Y'all, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. That's pretty cool. Okay, and then one more point, that there is disruption in the soil layers around the, the Dead Sea that actually show at that time that there was an earthquake. Okay, so I think it's pretty obvious now that it's not just something that the Bible has recorded, but these things happen in real life, right? It was dark for three hours, there was an earthquake, the temple curtain, uh, it tore. It's like there are a lot of coincidences kind of stacking up. And so I want you to think about this. At the moment of Christ's death, it's as if the foundation of the world began to shake. The whole earth quaked in response to his death. And so Jesus, who was there before the creation of the earth, and he who was there before the creation of the earth, he who is the foundation of the world, that all creation is on his shoulders when he was put to death, the foundations shook. 
And there, there's a lot of and powerful points and, and ideas. And, and it even shows that the rocks of the earth, the stones, they were crying out in praise for what Christ had accomplished. I don't know if you remember this story, uh, but if you look back in the Old Testament, you remember uh, the story where the law was given to Moses. It's in Exodus 19, 18. The mountain called Mount Sinai trembled when the law was given to Moses, and the earth trembled once again at the death of Christ as he fulfilled the law. And so the law came to bring condemnation, and it lacked the power to save, but Christ came to save those who were condemned. And the curse that had been set upon all of us, upon the earth since the fall of man in the garden with Adam and Eve, Christ came to break the curse of sin and death. And now those who choose to believe in Him, then they're forgiven, and they get to receive His righteousness. And so it's amazing to me that this miracle, it's not something that's just recorded in the Bible, it's something that is historically verified, and it shows that the whole earth shook, and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the third miracle, the fourth. Any guesses to the fourth? Yeah, a lot of people miss this one. The fourth miracle is the raising of the dead. Did you know when Jesus died and when he was resurrected, there in between these couple of days, people who were dead came back to life with Christ? Did you know this? Okay, so it's not just Jesus came back from the grave. It's an amazing story. We're going to celebrate that. No, there were many people who had fallen asleep that had been dead for years and years came out of the graves, and the Bible says they went to people and began to reveal themselves. Could you imagine how scared you would be? Grandma? <laughs> like, holy cow, like, what in the world? Like, this is blowing my mind. Some of y'all are like really hoping, they're like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. I miss Mama. Little Johnny? <laughs> it's crazy to see you. Okay, this, this happened. Okay, look at this. Matthew 27, verses 52 and 53. Because of the earthquake, it says, the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. What does that mean? They were brought back to life. And it says, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Do we just like, over, like read over that and just like miss it sometimes? Like this, this is what happened. I can't imagine seeing these things unfold in front of us, but what I want you to see, something even as outlandish as this is not only recorded in the Bible, but it's recorded by many historians. Many historians talk about this. All of these people we talked about earlier, uh, when you uh, begin to look at some of the early church fathers, people, people's names that you might recognize, uh, Ignatius, Polycarp, uh, he was a disciple of uh, the Apostle John, Arrhenius, Clement of Alexandria, and Tertullian, all of these men talked to people who saw firsthand that these dead people were raised to life. Okay, but the most convincing one of all, remember we talked about the writing of Pontius Pilate, the man who sentenced Christ to death. He talked about the darkness 
He talked about the earthquake. And guess what he also was telling the Roman emperor? He said, people came back to life. It's recorded in his writings. And he not only said that people came back to life, but you know what he said? He says, even the Jews are admitting it. So you have Roman and Jewish attestation that people came back out of the grave after they've been dead for years when Jesus died. Is that not amazing? Right? That's amazing. And so many tombs were opened between Friday and Sunday, and Jesus had been dead since Friday. But guess what? On Sunday morning, there was another tomb that was opened, and it was Jesus' tomb. You know, uh, three, three and a half years ago now, I don't know how long ago, Dora and I, Brittany and I, all of us, we got to go to Israel. We got to go to the two sites uh, that they believed were the uh, two possibilities of, of the graves of Jesus. And so we got to go, one of them, we got to go inside. And can I just tell you, other religions might go and visit Muhammad or whoever their God is, and they're lying there dead in the grave. I went into the grave. There was no one there, thank God. <laughs> He wasn't there. Jesus walked out alive. In Revelation 1.18, these are the words of Christ. He said, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death in Hades. And what's amazing is as he was dead in the tomb, Christ went and he took back what the enemy had stolen The enemy had come to bring death, and Christ came to bring new life. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 and 57 says this, The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ didn't conquer death just so he alone could walk away in victory. Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. So all of us who come to believe and trust in Him could be forgiven and we could inherit eternal life. It's the symbolism that happens. These other people were also raised with Him. It was the extension of this promise that one day upon Christ's second coming that we also, those who have died, will be raised again to new life. And those who have trusted in Him as their Lord and Savior will be called up to the heavens to worship Him and and to live with Him forever. It's a powerful miracle. It's a powerful promise. These dead that were raised went to the city proclaiming the glory of God. And it shows that Christ conquered the death and grave not only for Himself, but for all who would believe in Him. But I want to share with you one more miracle tonight as we get ready to end. And I think perhaps it's, uh, the, the, the greatest miracle of Calvary. And it's recorded in Matthew 27, 54. This is what happens. It says, When the centurion of those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, the, some of the soldiers that were there witnessing these things, it says, When they saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe, no duh, and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. After the soldiers who had crucified, they had just crucified Christ. 
they had been put on guard to make sure no one steals the body so no one could pretend anything happened to the body of Christ. After they had gone through all of these things, they saw the, the three-hour darkness. They saw the, the temple curtain tear. They, they, they witnessed the earthquake. They saw dead people come back to life. They said, certainly, this is the Son of God. They realized that they had done more than just crucify some random guy, but that this was the Son of God. And I think this is representation of the greatest miracle of Calvary. It's miracle number five, the miracle of the changed heart. It reveals the reason why Christ went through such brutality and torment so that those who were lost and dead, yes, even those who had just killed him, could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They could come to trust in Jesus Christ and find forgiveness and find freedom. He wanted to extend His grace and mercy to even them. And one thing that that shows us is that no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter what you've done, no matter how much shame and guilt that you carry, it shows that Christ still desires to extend His grace and His forgiveness and His love to you. Yeah, that means that Christ even loves you. There's forgiveness at the cross of Christ. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that lay someone, uh, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I want to tell you this, as the worship team is getting ready to come up, look at me. Christ went through all of these crazy things, all of the brutality, all of this torment. He, he endured the cross. Why? Because He loves you. Because He knew that we were all dead in our sin. He knew that we all deserved God's judgment, and yet He came to make a way for us to be forgiven and set free. The truth is that one day all of us will stand before God and we'll be judged according to how we live here on earth. It's a scary, scary truth. And we're all deserving His judgment, but God made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we could be forgiven and made whole. There's only one escape from His judgment, and it is through His Son, who was crucified on the very first Easter. And so tonight, I... The reason we talk about all these things, the reason I'm going through this entire story, it's not to, I mean, to, to shake my finger at anyone to make you feel bad about how you're living or what you're doing, but I want to tell you that Jesus Christ and, and this story, it's more than just a story. It is history. It really happened, and Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. And we're speaking the truth to you because we love you, and through Christ is the only way you can find forgiveness and freedom. The Bible is clear on what we have to do. We have to repent of our sins, lay down our sins, lay down our wrongdoing, lay down those things that we know that we shouldn't have in our life, lay those things down before Christ and choose to believe in and follow Him. And if we would do those two things, the Bible is clear that Christ will come in and forgive us of our sins. He'll walk with us, strengthen us. And one day when we die, We'll get to experience eternal life with Him. But you can only do that through Christ. 
And so tonight, you know, this little Easter service that we're having, we've been praying that God would continue in this same work, this fifth miracle of the the changed heart, that maybe tonight you know that you're away from God and maybe you know that you haven't truly trusted in Him. Maybe you know that you haven't truly turned from your sin. Maybe this is your first time hearing all this. And man, you're just amazed by this story that someone would do that and die for you because he loves you. Listen, we're believing that tonight that God would grab every person's heart and that we would all make sure that we are right with him. Because listen, one day when you stand before God, it's not going to matter how many followers on Instagram or TikTok that you have. It's not going to matter how popular you were. It's not going to matter how much money you make. It's not going to matter what job you had. It's going to matter if you've trusted your life and you've placed it in Jesus Christ's hands. And tonight, this is what I want to do. I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. And if you would, would you just ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me tonight? Lord, what are you speaking to me? And maybe some of you, you know that you've trusted God with your life. You've made that decision to follow him. Man, we're so proud of you right now. Would you just pray that God would help you even appreciate what he's done in a greater way? But for some of us right now, God might be tugging on your heart that you need to make that decision to follow him, to stop living for yourself and to choose Christ. I made that decision close to 15 years ago and I'll tell you that God changed my life. And I believe he can do the same for you tonight. And so I want to ask you a question with every head bowed, with every eye closed. If you know that tonight you're ready to make this decision to follow Christ, to lay down your sin, that you believe in this story that we talked about and all that Christ accomplished and that that he is the son of God and through him alone is the way of salvation. You're ready to believe those things and proclaim that tonight. I want you to lift your hand and wave at me for just a moment if that's you. Amen. Amen. See several hands tonight. I'll wait for just another moment. If that's you, wave at me tonight. Amen. Amen.